Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. People have been put to death over the things that I'm about to say. Uh, And so they're really not meant to offend you or hurt anyone's feelings. And so... If you disagree with what I'm about to say, please don't kill me. Uh, don't, don't write me off, but I will challenge you to find out for yourself if what I'm telling you is true. All right? So if this offends you, just don't leave offended. Leave to go discover the truth for yourself. Okay? So um, I'm going to set up for you a little movie clip that we're going to watch. It's a great way of communicating. And so it's about an eight minute long clip of uh, what happened back in the day. So let me kind of set the backstory for you just a little bit. We're not Catholics uh, for a, a whole host of reasons, but really the match, the spark that lit the match that started the fire known as the Reformation to reform the church back in the 1500s by this monk by the name of Martin Luther, began over a specific situation called the selling of indulgences. And so Pope Leo X was the pope of the church back in the day. And he went into, he wanted to have a building fund I'm going to break it down for you, okay? He wanted to build St. Peter's Basilica. You know what St. Peter's right there in Vatican? Cheryl and I have been there. We've walked in there. We can see all the beautiful Michelangelo artwork and all of that. St. Peter's Basilica actually was there before Pope Leo. It was built by Constantine, a Roman emperor, 1,100 years before all the way back to the 400s. Yeah, it's been around a while. So it needed a facelift, and Leo wanted to raise a bunch of money. And so uh, he said, well, you know, the amount of money that we need to raise is monumental. In today's terms, the cost of St. Peter's Basilica was the equivalent of five... Dallas Cowboys football, what do you call those things? Stadiums. The largest television screen in the world is in that stadium. It only costs one point, like $1.3, $1.4 billion. In today's dollars, what Pope Leo was trying to raise was $6 billion from the church, from peasants in the 1500s. So he said, you know, we got to have a tactic here. We're going to employ purgatory, the fear of purgatory, which is this not heaven, not hell place, this kind of lukewarm place where you kind of held out for a while and whether or not you make heaven is up to the Pope and how much money you get, give and the amount of indulgences that you purchase. And you don't purchase them from your local community. Church, no, a representative from Rome comes and he stands there and he taps the box and for every coin into the box rings, a soul from purgatory will spring. And the man he employed was by the name of Johannes Tetzel. He was a German 
And we know him as, in English as John. See, I'm already way, way much further down this rabbit hole than you want to be. I'm sorry. So we'll come back. Pope Leo, I'm very passionate about this because we wouldn't be here today if it were not for this man. So you got to understand church history is very, very important. Otherwise, you can just go to the Catholic Church. They had a quorum on the market for 1,500 years. We owe a lot to the Catholic Church. We wouldn't be here if they hadn't guarded the faith for 1,500 years, right? So we, there is something redeemable there. We're going to talk about that. But it went really sideways when the Pope Leo X uh, anointed, so to speak, uh, Johannes Tetzel to be the representative of Rome and go from village to town and to literally scare people. Fear is a powerful motivator. Scare people. You got to buy this. You got to buy this, this indulgence. And it's good for everything. He actually said, and, and Martin even brought it up in his 95 thesis, he goes, if you rape the Mother Mary, I mean, that's a big deal. This will forgive your sin. That's what he said. This is how, how severe the Pope wanted to raise money. He set John Tetzel, Johannes Tetzel loose to raise money. Uh, gosh, I got a lot more I could say, but I'm just going to show you the clip. Ah, we wish we could watch the whole thing, but we cannot. Come here, Martin. I'm going to bring Martin back. These are his 95 theses. They're written in Latin. Well, he was a German, yes, but priests used Latin, and he was talking to the priesthood. So he wrote in Latin. I believe he knew seven languages. His Dr. Martin Luther. And so they were in Latin, and he nails them to the door. They take them down. And because, lo and behold, the Gutenberg Press had just been invented, I wonder how God did that. They all went, they got translated into German, and they got uh, translated to every language in Europe, and off it went, and the fire began. So I want to tell you today uh, a few reasons why we're not Catholic. Um, there are hundreds of reasons, but I'm going to give you just a, a few. First of all, we believe that there's nothing higher than Scripture, this is a supremacy of scripture for us. Um, not theologians, not what people say about the Bible, not doctrines, not what people teach the Bible says it teaches, and not traditions, not popes, not papal degrees. Nothing should ever surpass the Bible in its authority, ever, period. We're not Catholics, number two, because we believe God deserves all the glory. See? A church system that's based on good works, your good works, or the good works of saints before us, Mary, and others who lived a holy life, who's now all this extra virtue goes into this treasury that you can buy, because they had so much goodness, you can buy some of their goodness. This works-based faith robs glory from God. Now, it's because you paid, you did, or someone else did, and only the glory goes to God. Christ alone, soli deo gloria. To God only goes the glory. Number three, we're not Catholics because we believe that we have direct access to God. We don't need anyone else to talk to God for us. 
we can go into the Holy of Holies and speak to God directly ourselves. We don't ask dead people to pray for us. We don't ask Mother Mary, to, and I don't have a problem with the phrase Mother Mary, right? I don't have a problem, and I don't have a problem with Mary. I don't. I have a problem with what people have turned Mary into, right? So, so we, we don't pray, oh, Mother Mary, go pray for us. I'm praying to a dead person who had flesh on like you and me, and they're going to go somewhere and make intercession for me. Uh, that's why I'm not a Catholic. We have direct access. First Timothy 2.5 says, for there is one God and what? One mediator between God and man. And that is whom? Jesus Christ, that's it. Number four, we're not Catholics because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. These, these phrases that I'm using are extremely weighty phrases. What that phrase means is there is no division between clergy and laity. You notice that I'm not standing up here in some sort of papal garb, some religious garb, any more than if you were to stand up here and preach. The clothing does not a preacher make. Martin Luther said it like this. A shoemaker who makes shoes for the glory of God is just as holy as a minister of the gospel. So what he's done, he says, there is no division between clergy and laity. You f In fact, if you're around here for a length of time, you never hear those phrases, the clergy, the laity. If you're in a place where they use those phrases, they're saying, listen, I'm more holy than you. Right? Number five, we're not Catholics because we believe that salvation comes by grace alone and through faith alone. Sola gratis, sola fide. And if you're wondering about my T-shirt, all five of these Latin phrases are on my T-shirt. I've come with the big guns today, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Christ alone, we sang it this morning Faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone, his glory alone. So you don't do anything to deserve salvation, not good works, not confessional, not pilgrimages, not long prayers, not penance, certainly not indulgences, and not even communion or water baptism. You can die with water, you can get baptized at the end of this month right here. You can die with water baptism water on your face and still go to hell. You can die and go to hell with a communion cup in your hand. So underline it, Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, Right? Number six, we're not Catholic. I'm just about done. Then I have a lot of other fun stuff to tell you. Number six, because we believe that Jesus is the head of the church, not the Pope. The Pope is not the head of the church. Well, they use some convoluted that, that Peter was actually given the keys when in fact it was Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. And when Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about the rock, Peter. He was talking about Peter's confession that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And there's a wide fork in the road right there. And so they say, okay, well, Peter was the first pope, and then it gets handed down for, through succession. Well, interestingly enough, do your Bible work. The, uh, uh, Peter, supposedly the first pope, he had a mother-in-law. That meant he was married. 
Okay, let's go on. Colossians 1.18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is the head of the church. It says it right there. No one else is the head of the church. Am I the shepherd of the church? No, I am an under-shepherd. I'm not the shepherd of the church. He is the great shepherd. I'm simply an under-shepherd. Reminds me of an old song. You may be familiar with an old song that says, the church is one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is a new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. So, what's happened? Jesus came. He put everything into action. Put everything into commotion. What happens then on the day of Pentecost? Jesus now ascends into heaven. Now you've got 12 radical preachers that go out on the street and start preaching. Then thousands and thousands of people get saved. Now Jerusalem is being turned upside down. But wait a second, it's not a Jewish colony. It's not a Hebrew colony. It's a Roman colony. It's under Roman oppression. Rome is occupying Jerusalem. And so the word gets back to Rome. What's going on with these Jews? Everything's going crazy. People are preaching this Jesus, that Jesus was God. Caesar is God and God alone. That's who's God. Who is this Jesus? And they had it up to here. Rome had it up to here. And in the year 870, so Jesus died 33, so they were at it about 40 years before Rome finally said, that's it, flatten Jerusalem. That's when Jerusalem was sacked by Rome. AD 70, the temple was destroyed. The Jews actually fled, which was a good thing. All things work together for good. Can you imagine that just the Jews just hang out in Jerusalem? The whole no, no, no. Rome, unbeknownst, turned the flashlight on and everybody, everybody spread. And now the gospel is going everywhere, all around the world. For a couple hundred years. But, you know, like, because we say in the book of Romans, Paul was writing to Rome. He was going to Rome. There was Nero. Now it's in the 70s, still is in the 60s. Things are going crazy. They hate, they hate Christians. So much so they throw them into the, uh, into the arena and they have lions eat them. They put them up on torches. They cut their heads off and they stick, these are Christians. They, 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 they would cut your head off and stick it on a stake and light you on fire. That's how much they love Christianity, because there's one God, not Rome, not the government, I mean, not Caesar. So it's going along, going along, Christians are persecuted, and Christianity flourishes under persecution. That's why a little persecution is good for the church once in a while. It helps separate the wheat from the chaff. Anyway, so uh, along comes another Roman emperor. His name is Constantine. And Constantine, believe it or not, confesses Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he becomes a Christian in the year 312. The Roman emperor who was in charge of killing Christians, this is Paul on the Damascus Road experience, who was killing Christians, all of a sudden says, no, now I am one. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to make Christianity legal. In fact, Christianity is now of the highest status because I am one. 
Constantine says. So this is the good news, bad news. We stopped being killed, we stopped being persecuted, and the church became validated by the government. Constantine says, you will be Christians, because I'm a Christian, right? So what happens now is the popes come alongside of every government. So now we've got you by government and taxes, and, and the pope and me, the leader of, of, of Rome, we're in cahoots, as time goes on. And then what happens is Rome and the Pope just, it all goes bad. So from about 400 on, goes on, goes on. And with every Pope and every leader in the free world, in the world, not free world, in the world, they become bedfellows. You ever heard the phrase absolute power corrupts absolutely? Lord Acton said that. Lord Acton said, absolute power corrupts absolutely. You've all heard this phrase, right? Do you know who he was writing to? He was writing to the Roman church. That's who he was writing to. And in the very same letter, a paragraph or so down, he said this. There is no worse heresy than that the office sanctifies the holder of it. In other words, Papa, I'm the Pope. I'm automatically holy because I hold this office. Not only am I automatically holy, I'm automatically infallible now. I can't make a mistake. So he says absolute power corrupts absolutely. He was talking about the Pope. Got him in trouble too. You may not be familiar with this phrase, ex cathedra. It's a Latin phrase, which means when the, when the Pope speaks from his throne, ex cathedra, when he speaks from his throne, what he says is absolutely true. He cannot make a mistake, and it is as if God himself are, is speaking to you. And because he is infallible, now whatever the Pope says is on par with the word of God. Look it up. First Vatican Council, 1870. Yes, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So what we have now, Constantine has become a Christian, and then the dark ages unfold. Then we have then we have the really dark ages. You've all heard of uh, the um, um, Crusades from about 1,000 to 1,300. These are dark, dark days. People killing in the name of God. I'm not happy about all that happened in the Crusades. I, there are some things that weren't so bad for the church in the Crusades, but the church did a lot of icky things during the Crusades. How and why? Because if the Pope said so, we do it. Dark ages are waning, and now the birth of the Renaissance happens. You've heard the phrase Renaissance? Why does the Renaissance come out of the Dark Ages? The Renaissance come out of the Dark Ages because of Gutenberg. Gutenberg. It's a man's name, and he invented, think back, he invented these little wooden blocks, some with metal, and you would carve out a backwards letter D, put it in a little thing, ink it, put paper on it, and then squeeze it tight, lift it up, and then you would have the letter D. He invented the printing press. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've been to the Gutenberg Museum. I actually was able to use a replica of it. It's an amazing thing to think. I mean, this is like, I mean, this was the, this was the invention of the last millennia. 
It supersedes the microchip. So this happened in about 1450. So what happens is these dark ages, everything's in Latin, the popes are controlling everything, and now all of a sudden you have the birth of, of, of Bach and Beethoven and the proliferation of all of this beautiful art and philosophy. Why? Because it can be printed and reproduced and you can have a copy, and all of a sudden we come out of the dark ages into the Renaissance. By now the Roman Catholic Church was pretty messed up, and there was a man by Pope Leo X, isn't he a good-looking guy in his little white dress? <laughs> the year is 1560. The printing press has been around for about 50 years. This is when he initiates the, the rebuilding of St. Peter's Basilica, and he needed tons of money, just 33 years of age. He finds himself Johannes Tetzel. Here's a picture of Johannes Tetzel. See his hand on his little money box? He would tap it. He would stand and tap it. I've seen one of these boxes in a Luther museum. My wife and I traveled to Germany a couple years ago to see all of these things. As soon as a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. That was his catchphrase. Pretty catchy, wasn't it? Indulgences, where they literally sold the forgiveness of God. You earn it by giving money to the church or doing something. In this instance, it was giving money. Well, you know, the Catholic Church doesn't do that anymore. Wrong. Wrong. Look it up. Pope Benedict offered indulgences for Roman Catholics who took part in a pilgrimage to Lourdes, France. Pope Benedict has authorized indulgences to mark the 150th anniversary of the Virgin Mary's reputed appearance back in 1858 in Lourdes, France. So if you were to go to Lourdes, France and worship in this church, Catholics visiting the site from now through December 8th of this year will be able to receive an indulgence, indulgence which then can reduce the time in purgatory for yourself or a loved one. Huh. It's not new. And here's the, here's the beautiful caveat, because they realize, Pope ben, he, he realizes not everybody can get to Lourdes, France, right? So the pontiff also believes that whoever prays at a church that is dedicated to the Lady of Lourdes, so the Lady of Lourdes Catholic Church, St. Aloysius, St. Benedict, who, the churches are all named after saints. So if, if, you get to, if you can find a church near your house because you can't get to France, but it's dedicated to, to uh, uh, St. Lourdes, then you will also be able to receive the indulgence. You know. It was signed by decree U.S. Cardinal J. Francis Stafford, who was the head of the Vatican Court, dealing with indulgences on matters of conscience. I'm saying that because there's someone watching by television, someone here today, no, 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 look it up, prove me wrong. That's why I'm not a Catholic. See, purgatory, which was invented in 593, by the way, has the power because it instills the fear of death, and the Pope controls purgatory. And one of, Luther's, one of Luther's thesis was, well, if the Pope is such a good guy and he has control over purgatory, how come he just doesn't let everybody out, like right now? Amen. Hebrews 2.15 says, Jesus came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Isaiah 43.5 says, fear not. 
But the Catholic Church, oh, it's systematic in its fear. You should have the fear of death. You should have fear of purgatory, fear of the priest, fear of confessional. Oh, I got to go to confessional. <laughs> fear of the consequences if you miss mass, because that's where you get grace. Fear of the consequences of missing communion. Why? Because that's where you get grace. Fear of not having your child baptized. Fear of the discipline of penance. Fear of an angry God. And if you went to Catholic school, fear of the nuns. <laughs> hey, let me tell you, fear is a great money raiser. Fear is a great motivator. This is why we have Martin Luther and his 95 theses. Here they are. I'm going to just read a few of them translated. Would you mind? Just so you can get a flavor. Those preachers of indulgences, this is, number, this is thesis number 21. Those preachers of indulgences are in error who say that by indulgences of the Pope, a man is loosed and saved from all punishment. Number 32. Those who believe that through letters of pardon, they are made sure of their own salvation will be eternally damned along with their teachers. Yeah, see, he's ratcheting it up pretty good here, isn't he? 43, Christians should be taught that he who gives to the poor man or lends to a needy man does better than if he bought an indulgence. See, you understand why the Catholic Church didn't like this. They're trying to raise money, lots and lots of money. And now you got somebody nailing this to the door of the church? Ho, 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 ho. I got a couple. Well, I got so many, but I'm, I'm going to skip ahead to uh, 75. I thought 75 was a good one. To think that papal pardons have such power that they could absolve a man even if, by impossibility, he had violated the mother of God is madness. Because that's what Tetzel was preaching. 82. As for instance, why does, the pope, why does not the Pope empty purgatory for the sake of the most holy charity of all the supreme necessities of the soul? This being the most just of all reasons, if he redeems an infinite number of souls for the sake of that only most fatal thing, money, to be spent on a building, a basilica, this is no very slight reason. 82. Uh, 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 oh, uh, one more. Just got to do one more. 86. Why does not the Pope, whose riches are at this day more ample than those of the wealthiest of the wealthy, build the Basilica of St. Peter with his own money? <laughs> we're taking that baby down. We're printing that. We're passing that around. Everybody's got to see that. So that happened when? On this date... In 1517, that's why we're called Protestants, because the word Protestant, if you look at it closely, it says protestants. We are protestants. We are protesting all the whack that's happening in Rome. So Luther goes to Rome. He sees all this craziness. Then he comes home. He nails these 95 theses on the, on the door, and that's when all you know what broke loose. 
So now he's in trouble. Now he's, now he's in fear for his life. They, who, they don't even know this, this little German monk in the middle of, in Wittenberg, Germany. I mean, we're in Rome. Who is this little, who is this little guy out in the middle of nowhere that's, that dares right? But now it's being printed and it's spreading and the coffers begin to plummet and now Rome gets mad. And so they're gonna have a council. And this council was in a, in a town in Germany where Luther was going to be able to come and have all of his books and all of his writings there in front of him. This happened three years later because, you know, we don't have fax machines and email. It takes a little bit of time. So 1517, now comes April 18th, 1521. 504 years ago, we sang, a mighty fortress is our God. Luther goes to this town in Germany, and the name of the town is, in German, Worms, which is actually a W, so we say worms, right? And a diet is like a, a where there would be a, called a council. It's a fancy word for a council, a diet. And so it's really unusual when you say, Luther attended a diet of worms. <laughs> so in April 18th of 1521, 504 years ago today, he walked into that room and he's saying, Ein Festeberg ist unser Gott. Because he was speaking German now. He was singing in German. Ein Festeberg ist unser Gott. A mighty fortress is our God. That's what we sang today. 504 years ago, he walked in to meet Pope Leo and said, a mighty fortress is our God. And he stood before them and then they interrogated him and they brought all of his papers out and they said, Luther, you must renounce these writings. He says, I need some time to think about it. And they get all sideways with him. They give him one extra day. He goes back and he prays and he comes back and he makes this statement. He said, since your most sincere majesty and your lordships require of me a simple, clear, and concise, direct answer, I will give you one and this is it. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of scripture and by clear reason, for I do not trust the Pope or councils alone, since it is well known they have erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by scriptures that I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot, and I will not, recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. For here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Amen. He turned and he left. What he said to the Pope, wildfire spread throughout the land. And now the Pope wanted to kill him. He goes and he hides out. And while he's hiding out, he translates the Roman, the Latin Bible into German. <gasps> the common language of the day. I have actually a title page from the book of Galatians from 1523 in his, his, his words how he translated the book of Galatians. We have a, um, someone brought, uh, Daniel brought a Bible from his home today, 200 years old. The word of God, ladies and gentlemen, in the land, that was in German, in the, in, the, in the language of the people is a powerful thing. So I gotta tell you something else. <clears throat> so when did all this happen? This happened in uh, 1517, then 1521. He stood and said, uh-uh, can't do it. He goes away and he starts writing the book 
the Bible in the, in, in the, in the language of German, right? So by 1523, he's produced the New Testament already, right? So he's hidden away. Now this is, this is beginning to snowball. What Luther has done and what's happening with the Protestants in Europe is a very, very big deal to Rome. They've, excommunic- they've excommunicated him to excommunion. You cannot have communion because the way you receive grace in the Catholic Church is you better go take communion. So if I excommunion you, you can't come and commune with us. Therefore, we damn you to hell when we excommune you. So he's been excommunicated. And so now, oh my gosh, what's Rome going to do? It all started over purgatory and all this kind of stuff. Where is the biblical foundation for purgatory? Well, now that they can read it themselves, because the common man couldn't read Latin, now that they can read it themselves, the Old Testament, New Testament, they go, there is no purgatory in the Bible. Well, that didn't stop the Pope because he called another council. This one's called the Council of Trent. This happened 25 years later in 1546. What's the big deal? 1546 Council of Trent. That's when the Pope said, ah, we want to add 14 other books called the Apocrypha. They've not been in the word of God for 1,500 years. But all of a sudden, the Pope says, we've got to add these 14 books called the Apocrypha because there's a slight instance that perhaps maybe there's a a reference to purgatory in there. And now we can therefore reassure the people that purgatory is a thing because the Catholics now have their own Bible. I don't know if you know this, but their Bible is not your Bible. They have 14 extra books in the Bible that are just as valid to them as Mark and Romans and Genesis. Why? Because at the Council of Trent in 1546, the Pope said so. Don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you church history is all. It's church history. It's for real. I know we have a hard time even thinking of history that's older than us as people. Right? I'm asking you to go back 500 years. This is how we have what we have today. Quickly, five reasons the Apocrypha does not belong in the Bible. Jews never received it as books of the canon way before Jesus was even around. Reason two, the books are riddled with error. Number three, Christ and the apostles in the New Testament 260 times quote the Old Testament, but not one single quote from any of the books in the Apocrypha appears in those books. And Jewish historian Josephus Flavius in 90 AD, 90 AD listed the 39 books of the Old Testament, and he didn't include any from the Apocrypha. And they're not considered the word of God. So from this, we sit here today believing the five solas of the Reformation. Sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, Soli Deo Gloria, Sola Scriptura. In Christ alone. Listen, here's your takeaways. Number one, God loves everyone, including Roman Catholics. Remember what you were before you were a born again on fire, spirit filled, tongue talking, Christian born, you know, what were you? What were you? What were you believing? Right? So there's a call. For anyone who's in the Roman Catholic Church, don't get mad at me. 
Go figure it out for yourself and figure out if you want to believe. I gave you a few, hand, I gave you a handful of reasons. There's hundreds of reasons why you might want to say, you know, let's, let's rethink this. Because God is not a God. God, listen, I just want to be nice, right? I really want to be nice about all of this. And I'd struggled with the title for today, Reasons We're Not Catholic. Because I don't want you to think I'm standing up here bashing Catholics. I don't bash homosexuals. You ever heard me bash a homosexual? No. You ever heard me bash anyone for the sin that they're in? No. Why? Because you were one and I was one. And we still go through it. We're still trying to figure it out. So my call is a call to freedom. My call is a call to independence from papal authority, papal decrees, ex-cathedral comments that you're in bondage to fear over everything. Because if I can, man, if you miss communion, if you miss confessional, if you miss baptizing your kid, if you don't do that, if you don't do it, then you don't get the grace. And there are seven ways, I don't have time to unpack all the theology, but there's seven ways. There are seven sacraments in the Catholic church. Now I'm really down the rabbit hole. There are seven sacraments in the Catholic church. We have what? We have, we have communion and we have baptism. That's it in Protestantism. We have, two, we have two sacraments, communion and water baptism. And by neither of them do we receive grace. It's just outward sign of an inward experience, our water baptism and our communion with Christ. We're not actually drinking the blood of Christ. We're not dr- eating the body of Christ. Although Catholic doctrine does believe in transubstantiation. Uh, let me go a little bit further down the hole. Come with me. <laughs> to trans means to change. So when the Catholic priest elevates the, the chalice with wine in it, it actually physically, actually physically, actually physically upon his prayer changes, transubstance, transubstance. It transubstantiates from wine into the actual blood of Jesus. That's... Don't get mad at me. That's Catholic doctrine. Go look it up and find out for yourself. That's called transubstantiation. That's what every priest believes. I'm not saying that's what every Catholic believes because they don't know. They just don't know. Oh, there's a car with his horn going off. Everybody relax. We'll find out if it's yours or not. Okay? All right? So back up here for a second. That's called transubstantiation. So that's just, here's a side note. That's why when the priest lifts it up and then he pours it to everybody in the common cup or we all get a little, little, little glass of it or whatever, at the end, when there's some left over, what does he do? Oh, man, he, he kicks that back. He drinks, I, I, when I was a kid, and you know, Lutheran, Lutherans have fallen back into some of this stuff, I gotta tell you. Um, but when you, because that's just the way the, these things move along. But, but you just don't bl- you dump out the blood of Jesus down the sink, right? So you drink it all down. You don't want to spill any of it. In fact, here's a, here's, a, here's a history side note. In Luther's first communion service that he officiated, he actually spilled the blood. He spilled the wine. Yeah, his father disowned him because of it. He was so nervous because he, he, he believed like, this is happening right now, and his hand started to shake. You can read it in the history books. And he spilled the blood of Jesus. His father disowned it. So I'm not here bad-mouthing Catholics, right? There's a change in these. If you're a Catholic, there are, are there born-again Catholics? Absolutely. Absolutely. Probably because they don't know all the Catholic Church believes. They would call themselves a Catholic, 
I don't need to pray to Mary. I don't need Mary. Mary's dead. Mary did an awesome thing. Awesome. She is to be honored. We are to mag, magna, listen, she's to be, she is to be, but not venerated. She's not holy any more than you're holy. Okay, number two. Most Catholics have no clue of the things I just shared with you. So if you have a good Catholic friend, number three, be kind and remember where you came from. You didn't want anybody coming with you like, let me tell you about Mary and let me tell you, am I a pastor? Please don't quote me. <laughs> right? You're only accountable for what you know. So figure it out for yourself. My pastor says, no, you better say. You better know the facts. So be kind when you talk to your Catholic friends. Number four, I think one of the most powerful things you can do is share the five solas. So do you believe these things? I mean, don't enter into a theological conversation. Do you Christ alone, right? Most Catholics will tell you, yeah, Christ alone. Faith alone. Grace alone. And all for God's glory. No, no priest gets the glory. No dead saints get the glory. And if you can get them to believe to that, if you, can, if you can get them to agree with the five solas, you have on your hands a candidate for being born again. And number five, our call is to reaffirm our own faith in Christ alone. Not because you go to a particular church or you sing a certain style. Please, understand preference has no place in heaven because the only preference is heaven is what Jesus prefers, not your southern gospel music, not your contemporary Christian music. I spent a half an hour listening to pipe organ music this morning in my office. Beautiful. I can tell you there's probably no accordions in heaven. I have it on fairly good notice. But there could very well be accordions in heaven. A little oompa, oompa, oompa over there in the corner. But preference, but preference, preference has nothing to do with this. The way you wear your hair, the length of your dress, the makeup that you wear or don't wear. Well, well, I, I, I do this thing and, you know, I, let's say, yeah. listen, 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 listen. Linda, 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 <laughs> Linda, Linda, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Grace alone. You don't earn anything. Charlie sits on the front row. Charlie doesn't get any more grace than that Charlie back there sitting in the back row. Same Charlie, 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 Chuck, Chuck. Two Chucks. Story, front row, you get no more grace. Listen, there's no more grace on the front row than there is on the back row. I'd like you to sit in the front row. Just for speaking purposes, it's nice to see you. And I put enough distance that I won't spit on you, because I am a spitter. I am a spitter. I'm aware of that. So we owe a lot to Martin. We owe a lot to Martin. So there was this great revival called Lutheranism. Then along comes the Episcopal Church, and along comes the Baptist Church, and along comes the Methodist boys, the Wesley boys of the 1800s, and everything started out like a bottle rocket, each one of them. Why? Because they had apostolic leadership, an apostle, the Wesley boys, apostolic. The, I mean, uh, every one of them, the, the Calvin, and uh, they're all just apostolic leaders. But what happens is when you replace apostolic leadership with counsel, with votes and boards. 
there's good points and bad points of boards. The Presbyterians have a, have a point to prove. And the Presbyterians were on fire at one time. But then we had a meeting about whether or not we should have a meeting. And then when we decided we should have a meeting, then we had to have a meeting to decide when the meeting should be. But every one of them starts out like a rocket ship. Every one of them. And then something happens. And then tradition and, well, that's the way we've always done it. And lukewarmness sets in. But then there's a firebrand that comes to the surface and says, nah, Jesus, Christ only, grace alone, faith. And the Reformation, the, the, sola, the, the fides come back. That's how every one of them were born. We get back to the basics. It's not about your doctrine. It's about whether or not you believe in Christ alone, faith alone for his glory, right? So it's just a, it's an affirmation for us today because today is the eve. It's, it's All Hallows Eve on the church calendar. All Hallows Eve is the night before the day that we celebrate all of the great people in the faith that have gone on before us. So tomorrow's November 1. That's All Saints Day on the church calendar. So for me, I've been asked, what am I going to do with Martin after today? I don't know. I thought I'd cut his head off and cut his little eyes out and make a mask out of him or something like that. But Aaron said, no, he's back there shaking his head. Don't do that. I don't know. But uh, I'll, leave, I'll leave the, in fact, I'll have Shad. Shad, you can grab the 95 Thesis, put him back by the door. I want you all to stand up. I want to pray for us today. What a beautiful day. What a day to remember why we are we're here, why we're here. The reason that anyone is a Protestant, I mean Methodist, Baptist, you name them all, except Catholic, because of Martin Luther. We're Protestants. So be kind to your Catholic friends. If you're Catholic today, listen, love Jesus more than Mary. You can love Mary. I love my mom, but I don't love my mom more than I love Jesus. Right? Trust the word. Nothing is higher than the word. The Pope is a fallible person. I'm, I'm afraid to tell you that, but that's the truth. And that statement alone would have gotten me killed 500 years ago. He tried to kill Luther. In Christ alone. Ein Festebrück ist unter Gott. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark fortress in times of trouble put your faith in him yes praise the Lord for each of our praise the Lord for each of our preferences whether it's southern gospel or rock and roll or long dresses or whatever it is that's your thing none of that when you stand in his presence it's all gonna go away it's all gonna go away Lord, we turn to you today looking to you as being the only mediator between God and man. Thank you for coming and showing us the way. We reaffirm our faith in Christ alone. Today, Lord, we reaffirm our faith in you. Scripture alone, faith alone, and grace alone, and all for your glory. If you're away from God today and you're ready to come back. This is the moment when we just stop here for a moment and say yes. I have messed my life up again. And I got to come back again. 
And the father in Luke 15, he still runs to you. He still runs to you. Will you just raise your hand with me this morning? Father, here we are, your children. Isn't this what little children do who want their daddy to pick them up? Carry us. Thank you for bearing our sins and forgiving us because of your great grace. We confess you today. Say, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. In only you I put my trust. And we pray this, Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that you might strengthen us to serve you yet another day. Until that day, whoo, When the sky opens, heaven parts, and you come back, not as a baby in a manger, but as the king of kings riding your white horse. And on his thigh is written his name, king of kings and lord of lords. Out of his mouth is a flashing sword. The word of truth, may it be our guide for scriptura, sola scriptura. In your name, we ask these things and give you thanks. And all God's people said, amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.